Welcome to the Aspiring New Leader, a weekly podcast that provides creative, innovative, and practical strategies for the new leader, bringing you all that is cutting edge and helping you to think in new and exciting ways. And now your host, Dan Perryman. Welcome to the Aspiring New Leader podcast. I'm your host, Dan Perryman, and you have joined us for episode four. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing how to create a vision, develop a strategic plan, and then implement that plan. We're going to do it in the context of the Chicago Cubs and how they went from a losing team to a World Series champion. We're going to talk about a hospital program that we implemented, and then we're all going to talk about um, individual projects and how we took those projects through the process. Before we begin, if you listened to last week's episode, I brought back both celebrities from last week. So welcome back, Jacob and Kyle. Thank you for having us. As always, happy to be here. Yep, happy that you are here. Before we begin, I want to share that we've had a lot of positive feedback. We actually now have viewers from Sweden and the United Kingdom, and we've had a lot of downloads this last week. So thank you for listening to the podcast. Over the last week, we had asked listeners to provide any stories they had about their Chicago Cubs and memories they had from their childhood. So we're going to start with the story. Holy cow, play ball. (laughs) Craig from Indianapolis shared with us, I became a Cubs fan the day I was born. My parents told me when I was growing up that they thought I was the curse breaker. I was born in October 1984, and the Cubs were up 2-0 on the Padres in the National League Championship Series and playing in Game 3. They lost that game and the series, but hearing that story got me hooked. My love for baseball and hearing that story only cemented my status as a Cubs fan. My grandpa Jerry was also a big Cub fan, and he was someone I had strong connection with. Baseball is in my family blood, and so are the Cubs. Being a Cubs fan is like being a believer in God. For me, there is no other choice. That's a great story. A lot of people do have a lot of memories around the Cubs. Mine's really not that sentimental. Mine is, I, I wasn't really a baseball fan growing up, and my dad used to watch all the Cubs games when they were one fifteen. They were always day games before the lights, and he would always fall asleep watching the game, and I would try to change the channel, and every time I changed the channel, he would catch me and say, put the game back on. So that's, that's my Cubs memory right there. <laughs> he knew exactly <laughs> when you went to change it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's get started. Jacob, you want to talk about the vision behind the Chicago Cubs and what they did? With the vision, we're going to start from the purchase by the Ricketts family. So the Tribune owned the Cubs previously, and they were going to file for bankruptcy and include the Cubs. So the Ricketts family put in a bid to purchase the Cubs. It included a 95% stake in the Chicago Cubs, Wrigley Field, and a 25% stake in Comcast Sportsnet Chicago. That sale finalized in October 2009 for a cost of around $900 million and currently is the highest um, paid for a pro sports team, second being um, the Red Sox when they were purchased for around $660 million, but that did not include um, Fenway Park. Uh, the Ricketts family vi- vision from day one was to bring a World Series to Chicago. Yeah, I read in uh, the Chicago Tribune article that the Ricketts family made winning its top corporate priority. 
And that was always its priority was to win. Exactly. So, so they didn't buy it just to have a team. They bought it to actually win the World Series. Right. And the Ricketts family are our Cub fans. They grew up in Chicago. They grew up watching the Cubs. So they knew the pain that Cubs fans have gone through. So that's why when they purchased, their main goal was to bring a winner to Chicago and win that World Series. Yeah, that's that's very cool. Kyle, how does one set a vision? Well, to apply this to your personal life or your own career, you have to understand what your vision is. State your goal. This needs to be your first step so you know what you're striving for. And your vision, like the Ricketts family, should be big. It's the picture of what you believe is possible. So the bigger the vision, the more excitement it will create within your team. You want to aim for the top and set that standard from the start and really believe in it so your passion for this dream will ignite those around you. And while I was doing some research on creating a vision, I came across an article from Harvard Business Review. It's called To Lead, Create a Shared Vision. And in this article, they surveyed tens of thousands of working people around the world. The question they asked them is, what do you look for and admire in a leader? And the number one requirement of a leader was honesty, which I didn't find surprising. And that was also the top ranking attribute of a good colleague. But the second highest requirement of a leader is that he or she should be forward thinking. And this applied only to the leader role. So among those that were part of this survey, 88% of them found that a leader should be forward thinking. No other quality that was surveyed, no other characteristic showed such a dramatic difference between a leader and a colleague. So it goes on to state that this points to a huge challenge for the rising executive. The trait that most separates the leader from the individual contributor is something that they haven't had to demonstrate before in a non-leadership role. And researchers who study executives' work activities estimate that only 3% of a typical business leader's time is spent envisioning. Yeah, I think a really interesting part of this article is that when they talk about shared vision, so they say, yes, leaders must ask what's new, what's next, what's better, but they just can't present their own vision. So you somehow have to create a shared vision because people want visions of the future that reflect their own aspirations, not just the leader's aspirations, which I think is a very important point of how do you engage your employees or your coworkers into your vision. It also continues with the best way to lead people into the future is to connect them deeply in the present. So how do you apply this visioning process? Uh, We're gonna use the example of a program that we started at the hospital and it is to provide technologically advanced surgical procedures. So the vision was, how do we create a program around delivering this robotic surgery? So really the the only visioning part was seeing how we could develop a program. That was really the vision. So we just wanted to provide a better way of doing surgery, a more advanced way of doing surgery. So that was really the vision. So we've talked about the Cubs vision we talked about the million dollar robotic program, but maybe maybe listeners can't relate to these bigger programs because it's not part of their their world. So let's talk about individual visioning and how 
how you've completed that in your life. Jacob? Well, in my life, my vision was to um, complete my MBA. I knew that a MBA or master's degree was needed to do that. So um, my vision was to go and complete my MBA. Kyle, you talked about how you created this vision around becoming a better networker and getting out of your comfort zone. Right. I spoke about that in our last podcast about the importance of networking and how I made that a goal of mine the last couple of years to really expand my network, go outside the box, um, get involved in more community events. And I have seen time and time again how that has made me successful in so many avenues, whether it's making new friends that help me um, with carpooling with my kids, with sports, whether it's um, taking me in a different path with my career. Networking is beneficial to every avenue of your life. Yeah. And the example I have is, is starting this podcast. So my vision was I wanted to find a way that I could share the message of leadership. And at that point, I wasn't sure what the best medium was. So was it podcasting, blogging? So really the vision was just, how do I share the message? So I think the takeaway here is the vision has to be pretty specific, uh, but it's a broad, big vision. And then the next step is to move into the strategic planning process of it. So Jacob, how does that relate to the Cubs story? Yeah, the Cubs story, um, as we talked about, their vision was to build a winner. They had to take a strategic plan and lay that out to build on that vision. So the key to remember is that the Cubs are an entertainment and business venture. So without a successful business, the World Series wouldn't be possible. The Ricketts family wanted to build a winner, and they knew that that would take time. So Tom Ricketts openly went out to the Cubs fans and said, hey, we've got a plan. This is what it's going to be, but it's going to take five to six years to complete. Um, so we're going to need you to be patient with us because we're going to have some bad seasons in between. And, and the Ricketts family purchased the Cubs in 2009. And from 2010 to 2014, the Cubs endured five straight losing seasons with the worst season coming in 2012 when they lost 101 games. So when you talk about a strategic plan, there are five steps. There's the situation analysis, the SWOT analysis, developing goals and objectives, and developing strategies and tactics. And I'm going to walk through what the Cubs did in each one of those areas. So starting with the situation analysis, Tom Ricketts um, and his family assessed the team and business. They identified that payroll, um, that the payroll was full of underperforming and overpaid ballplayers and that the team lacked the leadership to move in the necessary direction. Then they went to the SWOT analysis. Their strengths were the fan base, the weaknesses were payroll, the facilities, and the lack of depth within their minor league organizations. The opportunity was to build from the ground up, and their threat happened to come across as the city of Chicago um, as they came across some hurdles in their uh, bid to build better facilities. So, and then they went to the developing goals and objectives. Their 
financial strength is one of those things that they wanted to look at as their goal and objective. And that was TV and then sponsorships and partnerships. As now, as you look at Wrigley Field, you see um, giant Under Armour signs in the outfield and Toyota signs in the outfield, which help with the offsetting of, of building um, better facilities. And then win the World Series, which was the ultimate crown. So then you go to developing strategies and tactics. They needed to hire good people, shed payroll, build the minor league international talent, upgrade facilities, and then the Cubs way. And then finally, as you're building a strategic plan, there's execution, which we'll touch on all of those things that I outlined um, just here shortly when we get to execution. Yeah, what's amazing with the Cubs though is their strategic patience. This was a billion dollar investment, yet they were very patient with their plan. They developed a strategic plan and they stuck to it. Despite, I think the family was pretty, pretty much criticized throughout the years, right? When they weren't winning. They were criticized throughout the years. Uh, they were criticized more from outside media and um, the city than they were the fans. Um, if you take in any games during that time, you kind of understood the patience behind the fan base. They understood what the Ricketts family were doing because they're, true baseball fans. So they knew to build a winner and a lasting team that you were going to suffer through these hard times a little bit. And when you've suffered through 103 years of previous losing seasons, what's another five? Right. Yeah. Good point. Kyle, how's this apply to the robotic program? Well, building a strategic plan around the robotic program started with initiating relationships with new providers and practice managers and utilizing the network that I had already built to help me expand this service line. Um, It circles back to the importance of having a network and continually building and nurturing those relationships within your network. That's a key point. You need to remember when networking, you also have to foster those relationships. Um, You certainly can't meet someone and then go back three years later and expect to Um, get help from them right away. You have to work at nurturing those relationships and keeping them going. And networking is also a way to research successful pathways that others have used to execute a strategic plan. I think as a leader, it's important not to let yourself become overwhelmed by this step in creating the strategic plan because really we all create strategic plans probably weekly without even realizing it. An example I thought of um, earlier was just planning Thanksgiving dinner. Um, You know, you might have 10, 20, 30 people coming over to your house and you want it at 430. And so who's bringing what? What time is it? Whose house is it going to be at? That's an entire plan that you're creating um, with one shared vision at the end of the day. So it doesn't have to be overthought and it doesn't have to be overwhelming to the leader because your team is going to be there. Your job is to just ignite the passion behind it. And I think the the process of strategic planning is really the same around every project, whether it's a big project or a small project. You know, I'm sure that the Cubs strategic plan was pretty comprehensive since they were spending billions of dollars. Uh, but, you know, starting a robotic program where you're spending a million or two, you have a pretty comprehensive strategic plan. The individual projects we're talking about you have planning around those projects too. So it's really the same process. It's just probably the comprehensiveness of, of how much money you're actually spending. Jacob, how is the strategic planning related to your 
MBA. Yeah. So when I looked at master's programs, I researched different um, master's programs out there. So from full-time to part-time to online, I looked at the rankings. I looked at the cost, how long the program would take, um, whether it was accredited or not, and then experiences offered during that program. And then I also talked to people who had graduated from those programs to, to get a sense of what they thought and felt about the program. So I narrowed it down to three potential schools and I knew that I would perform better in a classroom environment than online and that the part-time program would, um, was a better fit in my life along with my learning style. Um, you, you know, from these personal examples we're providing from everything as basic to Kyle talking about Thanksgiving dinner to us talking about the, the Cubs big picture. You know, I really liked Kyle's example because when we talk in business terms of a strategic plan, it can be kind of overwhelming, but when you get down to the meat of, you know, you're making a plan every day and it can be as simple as, you know, your Thanksgiving dinner and you relate it to that. You're like, okay, this is not as um, overwhelming as I thought it might be. Yeah. Great point. You know, related to the podcast, I, I was trying to figure out what was the best way to, you know, send out this message of leadership and get other people involved. And I, I read that there's like, I don't even know if, 400 million blogs or something across the world, which is a pretty daunting number. Then I realized with podcasting, there was maybe 400,000 podcasts and there weren't that many leadership podcasts. And then there really aren't any podcasts that are focused toward the new leaders. So that seemed to be the, the right way to go. So then I had to develop a plan around, I know nothing about podcasting. Um, so I had to look at taking a course and then buying equipment and software. And then I know nothing about social media, so I had to learn <laughs> learn about that. And then ideas around whether I want to do the show by myself or or have you know guest hosts. So I went through this whole process and then really had to make a determination of whether I wanted to get into this or not, because through the strategic planning process, it was much more comprehensive than I thought. I, I think some people think that doing a podcast, you just turn on your iPhone and you plug it in. Well, there's, if you want to do a quality podcast, there's a lot involved in it. So I think whatever your project is, you want to go through some process just to understand what's involved. So setting the specific vision and then finding out, kind of vetting out what steps are involved. That's the process around that. So Jacob, you have a Cubs memory you want to share? Holy cow, Dan, do I. <laughs> that, that, uh, that Harry Carey, if you didn't realize that, is Harry Carey. Uh, there's no copyright infringement there because it's Jacob. And it's a terrible impression. <laughs> terrible. So my fondest memory of watching the Cubs um, or, or why I became a Cubs fan uh, is because of my grandfather. So Craig from Indianapolis mentioned his grandfather. And I think a lot of us grow up um, rooting for a certain team because of our family ties. And and that is as myself as well. So my grandfather um, and I watched uh, Cubs games in the afternoon together. And my mother worked, so I, I stayed with my grandparents during the day. And every day, um, my grandmother would make us lunch and dessert was always included, thanks to my grandfather who had a sweet tooth. And then we would go watch the Cubs games at 1.20 in the afternoon on WGN. And that 1.20 is Central Time for, for all those Central Time folks. But um, we would sit there, um, we'd watch Ryan Sandberg, Andre Dawson, Rick Sutcliffe, all of those good guys in the um, 
80s and early 90s. And then, of course, Harry Carey was the greatest announcer ever compared to my um, grandfather and his talking. And with Steve Stone, who who helped him out. Yeah, I remember Steve Stone. Yeah. Um, I can still picture, to this day, the couch we would sit on in my grandparents' um, room to watch the games. Um, we'd get excited when Harry Carey would come on and sing the seventh inning stretch. And occasionally... I would even get a sip of my grandfather's beer while we watched the game. So, um, you know, a, a, a nice memory there. But um, sadly, my grandfather passed away before you could see the Cubs win the World Series. And um, during his funeral, all the pallbearers wore Cubs hats and he has the Cubs emblem on his headstone. So before game seven of the Cubs of the World Series, I, uh, I drove to my grandfather's headstone and just kind of had a, a little moment and reflected on the memories that we had together um, growing up a Cubs fan. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Very cool story. So then the final step is execution, implementing or executing the plan. And we'll go into the Cubs in a minute, but I just want to go through the steps of how you can properly implement or execute a strategic plan. There's five steps involved. First step is you want to set clear priorities. So a good example is sometimes people will say, okay, I want to grow my business or I want to achieve growth compared to what you should do and be more specific. Like I want to achieve a 3% growth in commercial accounts. So there's a big difference. You want to set a clearly defined goal. The second is to use the right data. In the hospital, we have a lot of data. We have data that covers every aspect of everything we do. I really, I have never seen more data than in the in the healthcare setting. So the real trick is to pick data that applies to your strategic plan. It has to be accurate and specific. Number three is using the data correctly. And I've seen this in healthcare where we think we understand the data. You go down a path developing a plan around this data and then you find out that the data isn't actually applicable to what you're doing and that sounds like it, it can't happen but it actually does happen a lot so you need to use data and you need to use it to encourage improvement so when you get together with your team you want to use the data to encourage people and motivate them not to beat them over the head with the stick so that i think there's a big difference there and remember the shared goals part everybody's in it together number four is assessing and reassessing your progress. You know, it's really easy to get motivated around a project the first month, but a year later, how do you stay focused on it? And so number five is staying focused and keeping everybody motivated. A few tips there are, you know, you can have quick daily huddles around your goals, create agendas for meetings and actually put the priorities on the agenda so that you don't lose track of them. So you can discuss them at your meetings and then number three, I think it's a good idea to create some type of motivational retreats around your priorities. So if your priority is to accomplish a certain growth percentage, then your retreat can be around growth. Bring somebody in that can speak on growth. So you got to continue to motivate your team. So we're going to take what Dan talked about for execution and, and lay out the Cubs execution. So this is, like I said, it was a five-year project, five to six-year project. And uh, so I'm going to subcategorize it and talk to what happened through some of those years. So first thing we're going to talk about is hiring good people. So in 2011, the Ricketts family hired Theo Epstein as the president of baseball operations. 
And then in October of 2011, they promoted Crane Kenny to president of business operations. So they separated out their business side and their baseball side uh, of their operations departments. Then they hired Jed Hoyer um, as GM in October of 2011. And then later on down the road, Joe Joe Madden was hired in 2015. So they made some key leadership hires that made all of this um, possible. And and unlike most stories, you don't know what happens until the end. But since we're coming here talking after a 2016 World Series championship by the Cubs, you, you have an idea of how this laid out and what it culminated in. They developed the Cubs way. And it was a 500-page document that at, outlines how the team the coaches and, and everybody in the organization is to act. It also outlines how the players are taught by the coaches at every level of the organization. So we're talking from rookie ball all the way up to the major league roster and everything in between. So the coaches are all on the same page. They're all ta- teaching the same technique, um, the same signs, all that. So when you get a player that's promoted through to the major league level, it's easier to them to transition. They shedded a lot of the payroll, so they got rid of the older players that were underperforming and on bad contracts. So they let the high contracts of Alfonso Soriano, Kosuke Fukudome, and Aramis Ramirez expire. Then they shift the focus to player development. They built a minor league system. They promoted talent within through key trades and um, developed a core of players down in Central America. So they used their draft picks to stack their minor league levels and, and get those players to the big leagues. And if you look at the 2016 World Series roster, um, I want to name some of the players on that roster that you'll recognize that were either drafted or signed as international prospects and moved through the Cubs organization up to the major league level. That would be third baseman Chris Bryant, who was just named most valuable player last night. Um, he's only the fourth player in Major League Baseball history to win the rookie of the year one year and then in the next year the um, MVP. Second baseman Javier Baez, outfielder Kyle Schwarber, outfielder Albert Almora Jr., outfielder Jorge Soler, catcher Wilson Contreras were all on that World Series roster and all started in the Cubs organization and promoted within. Then they made a lot of key trades. So in January of 2012, um, they received first baseman Anthony Rizzo from San Diego for pitcher Andrew Kashner. July of 2012, they received pitcher Kyle Hendricks from Texas for pitcher Ryan Dempster. Ryan Dempster had been a longtime Cubs player, was loved by many, does a fantastic Harry Carey impression that's better than mine. Um, and as they talked to Ryan Dempster throughout the playoffs, he was uh, reminding people, hey, I'm the one who waived my no trade clause so you could get Kyle Hendricks. You need to remember that. Um, in July of 2013, they received pitcher Jake Arrieta and pitcher Pedro Strope from Baltimore for pitcher Steve Clevenger and pitcher Scott Feldman. July of 2014, they, they received shortstop Addison Russell from Oakland for pitcher Jeff Samarjo and pitcher Jason Hamill. And in July of 2016, received pitcher Raldis Chapman from New York for shortstop Glaber Torres. And and Dan mentioned data. So I want to touch on that and, and then um, we can move on because I know you're tired of me talking about the Cubs. But... Um, the front office is all about saber metrics for the Cubs. So they use stacks and stacks of data to analyze their player 
in every situation. So you ha- in a business, you have to rely on that data and you have to make sure you know that data or otherwise you will not get um, the, you will not produce the product that you want to see. Yeah, we had the pleasure of seeing Tom Ricketts at, at a conference and he took us through the strategic plan and the execution of the the Cubs way. And they're actually a year ahead, right? They are a year ahead. Yeah. And it was 30 slides. It was all, it was all data oriented that he presented. It was interesting. It was all data, right? Well, to turn this to executing a strategic plan on a smaller scale, um, when I became a part of our robotics program, like we talked about earlier, I began by listening, listening to physicians, listening to staff, understanding barriers and working with surgical reps who are experts in the field. I certainly was not an expert in robotic surgery or service line development, but what I had to remember and that we spoke on earlier is that no one is alone in creating or executing a plan. You create a solid team around you like the Cubs did who have the same drive and keep the excitement alive towards reaching the goal. We had to get the physicians excited to grow with us and let them know that they were an integral component to our success and the success of our team. Another critical piece to executing a strategic plan is defining clear roles, clear tasks within those roles and creating hard deadlines. I think having a solid framework sets the expectations for your team and creates order within your strategic plan. And that solid path then earns the trust of your team. So when everyone has the same goal and a shared vision, you rely on each other to attain it. You don't want to let your colleagues down. And I think that helps to increase productivity as well. So there's a theme running through this with the Cubs and with the individual projects about leadership. You have to have leadership that believes in the project. And then you have to create a team that all believes in the vision as well in order to execute it. So everybody has to be on the same page. Jacob, how... How'd the MBA turn out? Well, I, I narrowed down my list of schools um, and was accepted into my top choice, which was the University of Illinois in Champaign-Urbana and enrolled and graduated and completed that master's degree. Yeah, very good. Congratulations. Thank you. Related to the podcast, once I developed that strategic plan around that, I had to produce a podcast and then publish it and get connected on iTunes. Uh, and that actually kind of was the easiest part of it publishing the podcast once I had all the pieces in place. So for that, the execution was actually easiest. And now you can track all the data on podcasts. And the person I took the podcast course from said, just, you know, monitor your data, you know, every week or every month. So I monitor it like every 15 minutes. Uh, It's (laughs) maybe about every two (laughs) to three minutes. We're getting a text message on the data. Which is turning out pretty good, by the way. To summarize, here's a here's a few takeaways. Uh, be specific about what you are trying to accomplish. I think being specific is the most important because it guides your direction. Number two, specifically measure what you are trying to accomplish. So we talked about that. Measurement is is easy to do, but I think it's hard to do correctly. So you have to think about what you're going to measure. And then number three is continue to evaluate if you are successful. If you're going down a path and you start to realize that you're not accomplishing what you planned out to accomplish, then you need to modify your approach. So the continual reassessment is very important. 
Jacob, Kyle, any closing thoughts? Yeah, to me, I think the the most important part of that is the, the clear goal and objective. Like you said, during the journey, if it isn't working out for you, you can always reset and move in a different direction. But without that clear goal or objective, you don't know what you're working towards and you'll just end up going in circles. And to summarize a little bit for every, all, all the listeners is that this may sound daunting, but remember, bite it off in small chunks, go in, in step by step and um, you'll be able to get through it. Right. My takeaway is to... Remember to make your vision big and don't limit yourself. You know, when we started the robotics program, we had one surgeon and we generated a lot of movement and a lot of success and a lot of buzz behind it. And we've since gained seven more surgeons who have robotic privileges with us. And we don't know where the top is, um, but we certainly didn't want to limit ourselves. So we're always continually redefining and reevaluating areas to expand and improve on. Yeah. And I think it's important to remember that you don't have to enjoy every part of this, you know, as a CEO, I, I like the visioning part probably the most, cause you can kind of come up with new ideas. Um, I don't really like the strategic planning part that much. That's, you know, we have a person who does that and then everybody else really executes the plan. So as you're going through this, it, it's just important to remember that it, not all parts of this are going to be f- that much fun, but I think all three parts are really essential. I don't think you can skip over any of the parts. Otherwise, you're going to have an incomplete plan. Well, that's why you have a, a team involved because um, everybody brings their own strengths to the table. And then you have um, the leader that um, everybody loves to work for that gets you Thank to you. that goal. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. That's uh, that's the end of our podcast episode here. We hope you uh, have learned something about visioning and strategic planning and executing your plan. We hope you have learned something about the Cubs. I do actually want to share one more Cubs story. Uh, I just, for those that are not Cubs fans, uh, the, the memories run really deep. So my mom, she's 84 years old and she, she has onset dementia right now so her memory is kind of in and out but she saw that the Cubs won the World Series and the next time I visited her she she asked me if I remembered going to the Cubs game when I was five and I of course I don't remember at five right and then she went on to tell me oh we sat in certain seats Johnny Bench was the catcher for the Reds and went into all these details about the Cubs and so Day-to-day memory is pretty sketchy with her, but she remembered every detail of this Cubs game, which I just find is pretty amazing. It's very cool. Thank you for joining us today on our podcast. And I want to thank everybody for sharing this podcast with others um, and for subscribing. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And I would ask that you just share it with one person that could benefit from this information. And also, if you would, if you enjoy the podcast, please go to iTunes and leave a review and we would really appreciate that. And until next week, take care and keep learning. Holy cow, play ball. Thank 
you for joining us on this week's episode of The Aspiring New Leader. Join us again next week for more innovative ideas, inspiring stories, and interviews. Be sure to check out newtoleadership.com for more resources, show notes, and to give us your feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Until next week, keep aspiring.